It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Standing alone Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own Blue moon You knew just what Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who's never offside, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. It's because I'm too slow. I, if Fair. I tried to be offside, I wouldn't get there in time. It's not about the creative passing coming to you from Bardi and I. No, those are always perfect. Lovely stuff. I always um, thought it was um, the slower players that were more likely to go offside because they, they had to kind of get an advantage either the slower players or the stupid players like in Zaghi <laughs> they were the ones that had to try and cheat yeah no you're probably right to be fair <laughs> but you so, know what I'm never offside because I only ever play five aside where <laughs> you can take mm, the fits no offsides <laughs> goal hangings allowed yeah yeah. before we get started just a quick announcement to say that the Tottenham Food Bank will be in place for the Brentford match on Saturday between 9.30 and 11.30 it's at the community centre the normal place so uh, opposite the, the corner pin um, they need tea and coffee, savoury snacks and biscuits. If you do go there, say hello to our friend Sarah. She's absolutely delightful and we'll have a, a lovely Spursy chat with you. Um, thank you to the following for the emails or messages. We really appreciate it. So Vincent Rico, Paul Maslin, James Sullivan, Ivan Victor, John White, Sachin Nakrani, Daryl Brugink and Jonas Shipley. Really appreciate all the messages. Um, there's been a lot of um, traffic in the inbox, I think, as a result of the Nagelsmann news and the result against Villa. Um, but we really appreciate getting your thoughts and often the, the kind words as well. It's, it's very nice. Uh, let's get stuck into the Villa game. I don't think we need to run this one too long. It's fucking miserable first half performance but uh, and result, obviously. Um, the team selection, same team again. Um, Nathan, you, you, was, you were quite happy with Mason's hybrid formation mm. last time round. We... we Sort of relatively happy to see the same thing rolled out again. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, up until that point, you see by match to match alterations by Mason. I think even if it's just switching wingers from one flank to the other, um, and obviously even when you have a good tactic, um, teams are going to learn eventually. And, and Emery's a, a good reactive planner, so maybe yeah. maybe some change up, maybe Kulusevski, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um but I was I was definitely happy. I was happy and, and sort of curious about how that was going to play out. My suspicion was that um was very different from what happened. I thought that that Emery would try to take advantage of us as we changed between shapes. Maybe there's a case for that for the first goal, but it's not something that we mm. saw elsewhere in the match. Um instead um a little bit of focus on on Villa using an asymmetrical shape in build up, so the right back stayed deep and the left back pushed up high, which forced us into like our own asymmetrical shape. Mm-hmm. Um, general focus on switching from 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 the right to the left when we pressed high, but they also just pressed us really well. They did. I must admit, I was quite surprised by Emery's tactics, and I think um, honestly, I think the result lets him off the hook a little bit. If I'm honest, I, di- I didn't think that he got this quite right. In the first half, I thought Villa played quite well. They knocked the ball around well. They had a lot of the ball. 
Um, they've got. They are several months into uh, Emery's tenure now, and mm. you can tell that their tails are up. They look really confident. You know, they've got some good players in good form. Moreno is playing really well at left back. Jacob Rams is coming back into his best form. Watkins obviously has been really impressive the last few months. So I feel like they're playing some good stuff. McGinn also playing some really good stuff again. But what they did from my perspective was they tried to just essentially pack out the middle of the pitch, forcing us to either go wide or to play long. And when you've got a player like Son Heung-min, who's probably one of the very best in the world at breaking through and beating off side traps, plus you've got Richardson, who's who's pretty good also, I felt like that was a really risky strategy. And... um, Obviously, we got it wrong in this game. We we didn't find the right pass. We didn't find the right timing of the run. To be honest, I thought it was more down to the passing than the timing of the run um, sure. in this instance. Um, but when we did break the offside trap, we won a penalty. Uh, when we nearly broke the offside trap, we, we created fantastic chances yeah. one-on-one. Uh, and, I, and I think Emery is somewhat flattered by the scoreline Albeit, I thought we were dreadful in the first half. Really, really poor. Um, Interested to get your thoughts. Well, I, I, um, I'm curious. I, I kind of feel similar to you, but I'm a little bit more hesitant. I'm, I'm confused. I'm <laughs> maybe even shocked. So, uh, first of all, Villa um, pressed this in early build-up, and most of their chance creation came from them successfully turning the ball over. But yeah. after we've we've played through the initial phase of possession. They stood off the centre-backs and even the wing-backs, packed out the midfield so that mm. the Skip and Kane were completely disinvolved from the game. Hoybier could only get touches on the ball when he moved into the defensive line, right? So there's no yeah. midfield going on at all. And and they gambled that um, we couldn't play the ball over the top. And yeah, I sort of don't really get why we couldn't make that work. Because usually you talk about like, think about like a game plan execution. It's like, were mm. the tactics right? Mm. And were the players capable on, on a uh, whatever elements, technical, athletic, uh, yeah. mental level? And it's like, in a given game, if you're going to give, let's say, Langley 15 chances to find a ball over the top yeah. for Son and Richarlison, you're going you're gonna to bet on a couple of goals coming from that. And it didn't. So first yeah. of all, we have to say, okay, fair play to Aston Villa. They they played their offside trap really, really well. Fair they play. Did, they did. Yeah. And we can say, hey, you know, the passes, Longley, Royale, Romero, they could have been better for sure. But for that to fail pretty much consistently for, what, 60, 70 minutes, it's kind of confusing. To an extent, it's like because the midfield is completely packed out, if you're let's say concert, if you're concert, you know you do not have to worry about what's in front of you. The ball is not coming to Kane. He is triple marked. They're not going to work it through midfield. Hoybier mm-hmm. and Skip are not involved in the game. They don't have necessary brilliance to overcome being double mm-hmm. marks themselves, right? They're not so, Moussa Dembele. Yeah, the only thing you have to worry about is when Longley knocks the ball into a bit of space and takes a stride, step forward, then your job is simplified. I still think that if we replayed that game again, there's a chance that we score three goals in the first half. I agree. Um, but we, we didn't execute and, and Villa did execute. Subs around 60th minute, um, good subs. Maybe mm-hmm. so good that you say you should have made them at halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Firstly, I will do the lesser one, which is Kulisevsky. Kulisevsky, um came on for a Charleston, so you got one less runner, but he moved way over onto the touchline, and therefore he was outside of that that um, <laughs> that mid block, that Eredivisie esque mid block, um, and therefore he could offer a different through ball from a wide angle, the the reverse mm-hmm. wide angle through ball, and that's how Kane won the penalty from one of those passes, and more importantly. <laughs> This guy, I don't know if you've heard of him before, Basuma came on and he looked like he was maybe one of the best midfielders in the Premier League last season, right? Suddenly he's free from a role in which he's playing the entire game facing backwards um, and he can turn under pressure, link players, move off the ball and suddenly we had our, our midfield had a presence in the game. I was really impressed with Basuma. If there's a positive to be taken from this game, and he understands that that's not the overriding feeling. There's a, if there is a positive, it's that Bissouma is that guy. And he was that guy all along. It was just a bad fit for him, um, the way we've been playing all season to now. But it, all in all, it was kind of too little too late. And hey, Douglas Louise scored an absolute banger of a free kick. Fair play to him. 
I mean, I agree with everything you said, but I think that the bigger issue here is our players are unable to execute anything. Well, that's it. They're able, they're unable to execute anything. They're unable to do anything under pressure. They're unable to cope with a middling press from a couple of water carriers. And they're unable to find Sun. Sun's unable to hold his run. Richarlison can't hold his run. And I just think it's a damning indictment for some of these idiots. I think Mason's tried his best with this lot, but... I I've personally given up on them. I've got I've got nothing. I got no hope. It's all right to say, oh, on another day we might have won that, but just another example of just make the pass, man. Stop relying on Harry Kane to do everything. Just somebody else step up for once. Um, but no one no one was able to muster the energy to do it. I I'm I get your frustration and do I'm very sympathetic to your frustration, but like I don't think those players are unable they were unsuccessful on the day right but i just think long has a quality long ball sometimes his runs better than anyone in the world nearly right him and bappe harland richardson okay richardson gets caught offside sometimes but he maintains a good threat in behind i just you can criticize those players totally i think that's completely fair based on what how they performed in those 90 minutes but i wouldn't i wouldn't offer that as a criticism of their skill sets as players. And that's where I'm kind of away from this game going, I don't really know (laughs) why that worked. Yeah, the interesting thing is we've seen Romero play fantastic long passes in the previous two games. And I don't really recall him trying anything in this one. Um, And Longley, again, like Nathan says, he's he's got a ping on him, like, doesn't really offer that much in possession, but he, he can pass the ball long. Um, and it just didn't work out. There's so much space to play into. Like Villa played an exceptionally high line, uh, considering they had Tyrone Mings in the back line. I thought it was quite a risky high line. And they did, they managed it incredibly well. It must be said, Konza did a really good job on Kane. They, they were together, well coached. Um, you could tell that Emery's had them for a while. He's kind of got them into the, the shape that he wants them to be in. He's got them doing the things that he wants them to do really effectively. Um, but I felt like the opportunities were there for us just to... All you have to do is literally chip the ball over the top and make a time a run. It's not that... Diff- like, this is fairly simple, simple football. Um, but we just really lack creative passes in our team. It's almost like... Almost. It's almost like Longley's there with the ball and he's like, oh my God, look how high their line is. It's like, it's, is this, a, is this, a, what's going on here? Is there, <laughs> and there's like hesitation. Is this it is a trap. It's, a trap. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's too good and it makes him hesitate. You know, that's the only, that's the only sensation I get from that. It's mm. like, you know exactly how sort of available it is that you go, mm. wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> and that hesitation means the sun's offside. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't get it. I'm confused. But even um, even the time Sun broke it off and he was offside, he still missed. Well, he did score one. He scored one right there, right there but he missed three. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had three or four opportunities. He hit the post, missed another one. He, uh, he was yeah, I, th- I thought he was quite poor in this game, to be honest. No, and I'm not talking about being caught offside because I don't always blame him for that. I think a lot of the yeah. time the pass came too late. I thought he was really poor on the, poor on the ball, really um, struggled to protect the ball. His passing was off. Like Bardi said, his finishing wasn't great. Although the one where he went round Martinez, I thought that was down to exceptional goalkeeping rather than poor finishing from Sun. But I did not get good vibes from Sun in this game at all. And in fact, we had a question uh, from Dakota who said, why have multiple managers persisted with Son this season? I love Son, but this season he's been absolutely abysmal. He breaks our press. His back-to-goal play is atrocious. And this season his finishing and running in behind have been significantly poorer than not only his own high standards, but than any league average strike striker i i'm i I get that frustration i think that we're seeing him play back to go a lot less under mason which is great um we've now seen him fail to score from two big 1v1 opportunities in two matches um and both times the keepers looked fantastic um but it's now a trend of two um all of that said i thought that he was potentially man of the match against palace um, we failed, yeah. we failed to yeah. pick it up um, on the podcast last week. I thought that's, he was. That's fair. That's he, had, fair. he had um, a very, very rare and increasingly rare uh, performance in which he didn't score or assist, but played really well. And that is very different from the player that that he's become. Part of that, I think, is receiving the ball on the touchline more. But he received the mm. ball in in midfield against Palace several times and and did well. Um, so and then he drops a <laughs> a game where all he does is 
not touch the ball from offside positions or games. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I get it. I get it. And uh, we got a question from Arnie, which is essentially the same thing, but about Hoybier. Uh, over to our Pierre-Emile Hoybier correspondent, Antoni- Antonio Lombardi. <laughs> I have to say, it gives this gives me no joy. It gives me no joy in the Hoybier bashing. Um, I saw your tweet, Wendy, about people going after Hoybier. Oh my God, Twitter was winding me up. So it was, they were going after him. And although he, I will stand by the fact that I think he's a cement mixer and he's a distinctly <laughs> average player who's been overhyped part of me doesn't feel happy or nice with the amount of abuse he's getting you know it's um, got too much now hasn't it it's got too much and i'm, I'm not saying it's because of me because it's clear it's, it's definitely not no he's not playing well but it's got quite bitter now it got quite angry and quite toxic and um i don't think we're far off um him getting booed off in the kind of i, I agree I think if he if he has a bad game against Brentford on on Saturday and gets substituted, it doesn't happen to him. But if it does, I think it could get bad. And I get no joy. I get no joy in this. I know. I know. I I commented about people atting me when he did something good, but I get no joy in him being bad or the abuse he's getting either. Yeah. The interesting thing is there was a poll. I'm just trying to. So uh, on Twitter, the account. Coys underscore com mm. um, tweeted a poll in which they went through every player, listed them and said, keep, sell or loan for next season. I thought it was a really interesting poll. They had absolutely masses of responses. So over 10 and a half thousand responses to most of these. And I think that gives like a really decent sample size to sort of see where Spurs fans are at with it. And Will also includes non-Spurs fans at that. That's like Will also include non-Spurs fans. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, Pierre-Emile Hoybier came out as 58.5% keep, mm. 40.5% sell, and a, a spattering of loans, which I'm guessing is, is jokes or people just wanted to see the result maybe. Um, and I found that interesting because the impression you get is that everyone hates Hoybier, and, and clearly that is not the case based on that poll. Um, I tweeted about the, the poll and uh, I then tweeted about Hoybier, as Barty said, and I got a lot of responses from people who, who like Hoybier and think he's good and kind of agree with me that he's a lot better than his current form is showing. I think he's been drastically overplayed, probably by about a thousand minutes at least um, this season. Um, I think he is... Um, I think his quality level is that of a squad player for a, a top four club. I don't think he should be starting every week. I think we should hope for better. Um, but he's been relied upon so much that uh, it's become a problem for, for us and for him. And also, I think the tactics that we played this season where essentially we give up the central midfield area, the central midfielders perform a very... Um, I mean, even last season when we were playing some really good stuff, the central midfielders aren't crucial to the system. They move the ball on. They move the ball on quickly and normally just get it out wide. And it means that they're not having... There's not a, like a vo- lot of volume passing for the central midfield players. And I think that doesn't help Hoybier. I think he's better as a volume passer, um, seeing a bit more of the ball and also being able to break forward a bit more. So I think this, the system does hinder him somewhat, but there's no doubt he's not playing well at all at the moment. Um, for whatever reason, confidence, overplayed, tired, just not up to it. He's not playing well at the moment. And I gr- I completely agree with Bardi that, that it appears to me that the frustration with him has, has reached... Um, uh, it's reached a point now where I really would not be at all surprised if there was some booze if he was to it's, play badly in the next game. It's pretty nasty. He's um, he's definitely suffered from not having Bentancourt alongside him. Skip has been pretty bad as well, and he seems Skip be, has been worse than Hoybier, I would say. He seems to be escaping quite a lot of um, quite a lot of the stick. The two of yeah. them have been bad. The two of them have been yeah. terrible. Um, Basuma coming on was the one ray of light from all of this. That is, in my view, the best Basuma has ever played for us. Um, yeah. And and that came with him being on his way back to fitness. Mm. I think that's really encouraging. I, I think that's, to be honest, that's changed my perspective on Basuma as a Spurs player. Um, and I'm wondering how much we'll see of that with other players over the next three months, whether perspectives will be changed somewhat by players being given different roles and, and whatever, changing circumstances. But he was really impressive. The amount of times he helped us get out of sticky situations just by putting his foot on the ball... Um, taking a beat and then playing playing out 
it was really helpful being a bit press resistant and then actually you know moving forward with the play and being making himself available to receive it was simple stuff but it worked really really well and he did a great job i thought really pleased with um his performance anything else either of you would like to say about the villa game no for me um emerson continued to be decent enough in that position he did okay um i think with davies was perhaps shown up a little bit in that left wing role it would have been maybe would have preferred to have seen perisic come on a bit earlier and then take off Longley or take off davies and just swap the two around that's about it really I would just add that Mason is now continuing the trend of playing Hoiberg for every minute of every game and that yeah. this is now the fifth manager in a row or something uh, doing that. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I don't think he's and to ever be honest, been dropped. He's never been dropped. No. Not this, no. He's, I mean, he's never got injured either. It's like quite unbelievable. That. I, would like him to have, I would like him to have twinged a hammy. <laughs> I'm not talking about anything serious, but, you know... Not ruptured, where it kind of disappears up his butt, but just a little grade um, one, just a grade, a one. little grade, a little grade one. Have a couple of weeks off. Go sit down, read the newspaper, and let someone else have a go, or at least make some tackles and get a suspension here and there. Because the one time he was suspended, we had quite a nice little um, Sar cameo at the San Siro. Well, the the thing is, I think Basuma will probably start the last two games, but I think he'll probably start in place of Skip. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fair. That's that's true, though. He should start in front of Skip. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you got any other questions you want to tackle? I think I may need to revise my um, he's young, he's English profile for keeping players on when it comes to Skip. In our live Q&A, I was very defensive of Skip and said we should keep him. Um, perhaps we should now only keep him just because he's got a passport. So... <laughs> The other big talking point this week is uh, the, 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 the briefing to the press about Julian Nagelsmann um, not being a target. Uh, essentially, Spurs admire him, but he's, he's not lined up to be the next head coach. Uh, what to say about this? Some of the reporting and some of the information that we've been given, Nathan's been given, I've been given suggests that this comes down to the fact that Nagelsmann uh, had pretty strong opinions on who he wanted to be appointed as sporting director. And I think Nathan and I feel differently about this. You tell me Uh, yours. Yeah, so my feeling about that is... We absolutely cannot have a management appointing his own sporting a manager appointing his own sporting director. I think that's completely uh, asked about tit. I think we should be appointing the sporting director, and then they should have a significant say in appointing the head coach. The problem is that we don't have a sporting director. We we haven't appointed one still. Um, I totally understand why they would be putting word out to Nagelsmann and you know having informal conversations. I think it's it's probably sensible and prudent to have a shortlist of managers, even without a sporting director in place, uh, of people who you think fit the profile, are gettable and are good, and to start having conversations with their agents, even before a sporting director is in place. I, I don't think we should be taking advice from even the very best managers on who the sporting director should be. We've got into that problem before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think basically I'm a hypocrite. I think... Um... If Antonio Conte had, you know, says I want this sporting director, I go, this is that's terrible. That's terrible practice. We can't do things that way. <laughs> if Jose Mourinho names his his um, director of football, I'm like, this club is a joke. Even even Pochettino says I'll come in if we bring in this director of football. I go, we can't. I love him, but we can't do things this way. However, <laughs> <laughs> Julian Nagelsmann says, here's my list of three directors of football I'd be interested in working with. I go, well, let's hear him out. <laughs> so I don't, it really, it depends who his guys are, right? Apparently that or guy is, is German or Germans. Um, it's not, it's not a good practice. It's not a good practice because let's say he named someone who, um, is really good, right? Who has great practices. The relationship coming in is, is a power dynamic where yes. the coach has kind of too much power there. Yes. That they are a couple. And that when Nagelsmann goes in two, three years, the director of football goes. And we should be thinking more long term than that. All of that acknowledged, I still think that Nagelsmann is the level of coach where you maybe sort of consider some of those risks. I, I agree. If you're going to appoint Nagelsmann, give him what he wants. Um, 
uh, Paratici wasn't Conte's best friend. Like, he yeah. was already at the club. It was uh, Petraki, Gianluca Petraki, who is Conte's best bud, and they weren't put together. But if, if you're going to get the opportunity to appoint Nagelsmann, appoint him. If he wants a sporting director who understands him and knows which players he wants, then just do it and invest three years into it and let's stop being rubbish. And I'd be all right with that. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be okay. I'd be okay with doing that. I really want to know who we put forward so I know how to feel, basically. Mm. I honestly, I, think- I, 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 I'm, I'm very relaxed about this in light of the information, and I feel like, you know, first it's the sporting director, then it's some other demands. Before you know it, you've got yourself into a right old pickle. We need to have a structure in place, and if that means that we go for someone a little lower down the pecking order who's on their way up, who sort of sees us for what we are, which is a really big club, who you know, a little bit of a sleeping giant in some ways. Yes. Uh, with with a lot of untapped potential and they don't feel like they can just essentially boss around the CEO of this massive company then I, I think that's a good thing in the long term. I think we need someone who, who knows their place in the structure. There's a, there's a real smell of succession about this, though, that um, Levy and Munn are like uh, Roman and Kendall, and they just, <laughs> they've just been mugged off by Nagelsmann, and they've just gone, let's let's release a story that oh, yeah. Nagelsmann's this, this fruitcake who doesn't want this and doesn't want that and just refusing to play ball. The, the release of that information, the briefing to the journalists, absolutely absurd decision. I don't know what they thought good was going to come of that um it just makes them look stupid everyone's already annoyed about Pochettino going to Chelsea like they're even more annoyed now because we've missed out on the guy that pretty much everyone in a fairly unified way from a Spurs uh you know from the way Spurs fans react we are normally pretty split we were quite unified on Nagelsmann everyone thought he'd be a good appointment they're clearly they're trying to avoid the Nagelsmann reject Spurs headline right but it's like if that comes out you go fine you know fair enough bit of a pipe dream never mind but spurs instead decide the headline they want is spurs reject nogsman in which case the response is why why <laughs> why <laughs> what are you doing yeah it's, worse. it's so much worse and it's obvious that it's their their briefing to try and force that it's it's embarrassing Really was embarrassing. Kendall and Roman are called the Dumpster Brothers. So maybe that's what um, Levy and Scott Munn should be, the Dumpster Brothers. Mm. But again, all of this, whether you think it's a good decision or a bad decision, is completely fucking backwards because we don't have a direction of football, right? Yeah. The decision of who the next head coach is does not belong to Levy, does not even belong to Scott Munn. It belongs to our next director of football and we're continuing Absolutely. to do things backwards. We're continuing to be, we've just been linked with, with Raya, who I think is a good player to be linked with, but it's mm-hmm. inappropriate that we're getting to that stage with players, that we're being closely linked to them in the press, because that's not the job, that, that's the job of someone who doesn't currently exist at Spurs right now. <laughs> and it's so frustrating. I, I tweeted this earlier, I, 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 um, I retweeted uh, Mac, who had similar feelings as well, which is that like, yeah, okay. Maybe we had to follow the correct process with Paratici. And, and while we were calling for him to be sacked, maybe there there's an argument that that was improper and even slightly legally scary, although he's still in his first two years of the job, so you've got some freedom there. Um, that we we didn't force him to resign, which is what the mm. the other members of the, who were who still at Juventus did. But like we should have been spending all of that time since November. Levy's job in that time sh- in since November should not have been to continue to meddle in the football environment as Spurs, but instead line mm. up his next direction of football, so that we haven't had this period of several weeks now where we don't have one for us to be talking or not directly talking because we can deny that we haven't spoken to them directly but for us to be emailing and whatsapping back and forth with various agents of coaches for us to be continuing to to be looking at players is so inappropriate this is not daniel levy's job anymore this cannot be daniel levy's job anymore he has to his only job and even then maybe it's scott Mund, his only job is to appoint directors of football and run the commercial side of tottenham yeah Focus on the naming rights, for God's sake. Like, that, you're losing a huge income stream on a week-to-week basis. Get on with the naming rights. Hand over everything else, please. I mean, I do... I do. Um, the, o- the only way in which any of this makes sense to me is if they already know who their sporting director will be and they are, they're essentially waiting to appoint them and are getting information about their supposed targets. That's the only... They, they are the only circumstances in which this is okay, which is what 
was rumoured to have happened with Fabio Paratici. Um, but given the, <laughs> the leaks about sporting directors and the number of names still being yeah. linked, that seems unlikely. That feels incredibly unlikely that we're that close to making an appointment. So um, talked about Spores and Dykes last week or the week before? Yeah, last week. Really, really promising link. Since been linked with uh, Pinto. Pinto. Who is is not someone I'm glad to be... Uh- Recently appointed Jose Mourinho. Recently appointed Jose Mourinho, for example. But basically, um, it seems pretty old school. Um, from what I've heard, you know, asking around isn't isn't someone that we want. And and then looking from the outside, recently appointed Jose Mourinho, um, which is like not to say that he's bad at his job, that he's done bad work, but that it's not appropriate for us what we want. You know, we want to be forward thinking. We want to recruit younger players. We want to play attacking football. We want to use uh, analytics led recruitment, um, all of those kinds of things. That's not him. That's not what he does. And we shouldn't be linked to him as director of football at all. If you're a sporting director and you've not been linked to Spurs, you're really bad at your job. We're linked to, um, I've forgotten his name already, but the guy at Frankfurt. Um, but he is also more strongly linked to the buy-in job. So I'm assuming that he's going to go there. I wonder if he yeah. is is a name that um, Nagelsmann put forward. I mean, Spores also is is German. So um, there's two Germans there. The the Frankfurt sporting director is called Marcus Krosch. That's it. Um, and he appointed Oliver Glasner, who won the Europa League for them, but had a couple of mid-table finishes or had a mid-table finish and is like <clears throat> on course to do the same again. And lose um, his job as a result, I think. And probably lose his job, yeah. So, I mean, some people have said they would like Glasner as a Spurs coach. I'm shaking uh, that, my head. That, yeah, that doesn't feel like a great fit to me. Um, yeah, this is all a big mess at the moment. We need that sporting director appointment absolutely as soon as possible. And then we need the head coach in place for the start of the summer transfer window. And before so they that. can start, pl- ideally before we should that, have they need someone to in start now. planning pre-season uh, and, and get on, just get every, all the ducks in a row ready to hit the ground running in pre-season. It's, it's critical that we do that. Um, so speaking of some of this decision-making, John, who's normally a, a, a cheery soul, uh, John's been doomering quite a lot in the Discord lately, I've noticed. He's, he's really fed up with the place we're in at the moment. He says, if our decision-making continues at the same success rate it has over the last few seasons for the next five, where do you see us ending up? How bad can it get if nothing changes? How bad, realistically, do you think this could get for Spurs? I mean, more mid-table madness, I think. I don't think it's going to get bad enough that we'll go down, but I think it's it means more mid-tables, more mid-table success. <sighs> I mean, the thing is, we've had Harry Kane. <laughs> um, this season without Harry Kane would have been an absolute train wreck. Can you imagine? This is definitely true. I, I, uh, he scored twenty-seven goals, right? Yeah. This is definitely true. I, I'm not, I'm not denying the brilliance of Harry Kane. <laughs> Oh, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I like it. I like it. I think I know where you're going. <laughs> okay, not denying the brilliance of his performances this season. Um, but he's maintained his his ankle stability with uh, magic. Um, but also, the way that we've played this season has been entirely set up around crossing the ball into Harry Kane and not having another means of attacking the goal. So, True. so again, not to take away from his 27 goals, but if you do the thing where you go, oh, this is how many goals we scored this season, Kane scored 27, you take those away, we'd be relegated. If Kane wasn't there, we would have played a different kind of football and I think Sam would have a few more goals and Richarlison would have a few more goals, right? Um, that said, we do feel extremely reliant on him. Hmm. Yeah, he's like our, our biggest asset He's our biggest strength, but he's also our biggest weakness. Sure. It's like trying to enter, I don't know, like a Winnebago, a big SUV into a Formula One race. It's really good because you can have a cup of tea and go to the toilet and have a shower, but you're not going to win any kind of races. He's he's really good player, but perhaps... I, I do think Richarlison would have had a better season without Kane there. I, I'm, I agree with you as well, Son probably as well. But then how do you how do you kind of take 27 goals out of this team? The Absolutely. They're not getting, neither of them are getting close to 27 goals I think with the way we played them, this season. Between them, they definitely would. Between them, though, I think they'd get there. Mm. I have my doubts. I mean, I do. I think um, I understand the, where John's coming from. That you know, we keep making poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Uh, my my hope is, 
and it, it's the, I'm pausing because it sounds ridiculously hopeful now, given what we've just spoken about. But my hope is that we we get the sporting director appointment right, and that transforms everything. That transforms yeah. that transforms who we appoint as head coach. Therefore, the way we play on the football pitch, the types of players we sign to play that way, and and frankly, we've got some really promising players both in the squad and coming back to the squad. I, I'm, I'm a lot of players I'm really excited about for the future, and I and I think you know I watched Brighton play against Arsenal yesterday. Um, thoroughly enjoyed them. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed them. Not a team of world beaters on paper, but the way they play, the confidence they have, the belief they have in their technical ability and um, and tactics just make them such a different proposition to how I've seen us play for the last, what, over, well, what, three and a half years? Three and a half years. I mean, Brighton um, specifically, I enjoy watching them play football more than any team in the world. Um, and and with uh, Nagelsmann double rejected and with um, company signing a new year deal, I'm, I'm all in. I'm back in on De Serbia. I forgive him. I, I get that. <laughs> you know? I completely get that. I completely get that. Um this weekend also saw Arne Slot win the Eredivisie yep. with, with Feyenoord. Um, if you're interested in more Arne Slot, I recorded a podcast with Case van Hemmen, uh, who spoke brilliantly about Slot's abilities and and some concerns that he might have around mm-hmm. Slot's fit for the Premier League. But I really like what I hear. I like what I read about Slot. I like, I've seen a couple of final games as a result of, of them being so good, and I really like the way they play. You too. Um, it's interesting. And I am quite keen mm-hmm. on, on him being one of the first choice names. Definitely check out that podcast. Um, Case is is brilliant. Speaks really well. He he um, he says something really interesting. That um, so my big concern with Schlott is a tactical one, which is that everything in the final third is too reliant on the wingers. And and mm. Case uh, Case van Hemen proposed that that is a defensive thing that he doesn't want to lose the ball in the middle. And I yeah. found that really interesting, really eye opening for me. There's so much about Schlott that's 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 great. His his personality, his coaching mm. history, development of young players, use of the squad, um, use of data in rotating the squad, um, ability to improve a team after they sold their best player, best two players, best three players, plus four players. Um, there's a number of recent articles about all of these things that make him dreamy, but he has to make a significant tactical change to the way his team plays in order for it to be um, successful at Spurs if he was to come to us. I really like him. I'd love to buy into him. I think there's so much to like about him. But if he comes to Spurs, within six months, every game we play is against a low block and it's miserable. Mm-hmm. That's my fear. I, I get that. And uh, we, we saw that under Pochettino as well. Teams would just set up in a low block and we would struggle. We would struggle, but but when we had Dembele in the team and, and fit, we <laughs> sort of, and we blew them away yeah. with, with, with a war of aggression. Um, yeah, attrition is the word I meant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely get that. I absolutely get that. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we carry on, uh, we are partnered with Athletic Greens, so I shall hand over to Bardi. I started taking AG1 because my health is important to me. Windy, what's the best form of defence? Why, to attack my sidekick, of course. Ah, my Anglo-Saxon warrior. 
That's why your little island has been invaded so many times. <laughs> Those of us from the old boot know defence is the best <laughs> form of defence. And how do you get a good defence? Don't worry, this isn't a question for you, Windy. It's by putting the best things together, finding a combination that works and supports you and looks after you. That's why I pick AG1, the bastoni of supplements. Top quality ingredients, top quality flavour, mixed together, then shaken by my loving hand. There's no flappy Frenchman, ingredients the size of sofas, or cheap knockoffs on loan. Just top-notch ingredients and proper, proper science. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover, which cost him $100 a day. It supports better sleep quality and recovery. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So I've already mentioned that we did the the pod with Case Van Hemmen on on Patreon this week. And Nathan has also been busy. We churned we churned out the content on uh, on Patreon this week in terms of <laughs> the way things have lined up. So obviously my company video came out. We spoke about that last week. Um, have either of you watched that or have you also lost interest? <laughs> on my, no, on my list for tonight. Okay. I, I started watching it. Okay. You, you enjoying it? I thought it was pretty good. I thought um, there was some, some nice things that he does. I, I do think when I was watching it, I just thought these players are just way too good for the championship. Yeah. Um, that was that was my kind of takeaway. I'm not sure how that would reflect in the Premier League. It's the kind of thing, the kind of thing sometimes that when you watch... Um, um, he's gone out of my head now. The name of the manager at Celtic, Postecoglou. I can't remember. Postecoglou. Postecoglou. That's yeah. the one. But when you watch his team play, you're like, oh, okay, that's really good. But you're from such a strong point. Yeah. You start from such a strong position against against farmers. No wonder you can kind of cruise through them. It will will he be able, will he be able to replicate that at Burnley? And I I do think it's a bit of a risk him signing a new contract. I think so too. Could ruin, yeah. He could ruin his uh, reputation next year. Well, this, my position that I lay out in the video is that. I think he'll probably struggle staying at Burnley, but I don't think that that we should we should allow that to write him off as a contender. I think that you that this season tells you more than next season will, um, and that he's something that we can we can look at again in the future. Or other clubs can look at him again in the future, um, and I, I sort of argue that for the for the rest of the video. And then the other thing I did is I wrote a to-do list for our next director of football. Um, timing continues to be hilarious, of course, as as, uh, <laughs> as the club continues to bundle around <laughs> without a director of football. Um, uh, Nagelsmann's name is dropped in that um, to-do list prior to him being written off an, an hour later. Um, <laughs> so what did, actually, let's 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 touch on that quickly. What was my list? So uh, the first item on my list is to disinvolve Daniel Levy from all football operations, although I acknowledge that's an incredibly difficult thing to do and it would be a lengthy process. And I say that one of the ways that uh, that you can find some success with that is to try to establish a fixed budget and that will give you um, some freedom. Um, step two is to found the club Playstyle, which is something that Levy declared that he had done prior and then since completely mm-hmm. failed in doing this because of a lack of tactical understanding. So... In reality, we need to be a team who press high and a team who have a structured model of possession. Step three, hire a coach who can do those things. Um, Step four, potentially restructure our recently restructured recruitment so that we are data-led. And then also I think that we should be um, diversifying the role as director of football and that negotiation should be its own separate thing and that we should have a negotiations team to take some of the stress off. You know, perhaps you wandering around with wide headphones on all day. Maybe he was just listening to music that entire time. Um, step five, <laughs> decide the futures of Harry Kane and Son. I knew that this would be the most controversial step. I believe that we should be selling one of those this summer. Um, do not at me. <laughs> Number six, um, then analyse the rest of the squads with the with the new head coach um, and decide who needs to go. This is why, going back to Hojbjerg earlier, I think Hojbjerg probably has to stay for the summer because there are just so many other players that need to go um, in, in the next couple of windows. And then uh, your addition to this, by the way, Wendy, step seven was was to communicate with the fans more and, and lay out the planning and thinking, um, which Prajashi was meant to do and sort of started to do and then disappeared into the background. Did one um, iPhone one video call from prison and then was sacked the next day. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good stuff. Um, 
I, I, I don't fully disagree, I don't fully agree with the Kenson section, sure. but the rest of it I thought was absolutely bang on the money. Uh, there's a lot to do, essentially. That's why we need to get this appointment sorted pretty damn quick because some of this stuff needs to be in place before the season. <laughs> we, we, we really need to get on with it. Um, we've got a couple more questions and then we'll do some, some quick fires to end with. Uh, Scott Holloman says, we've shipped off lots of players who are rumoured to be the source of whatever rot there is at Spurs. Delhi, Tongi, Toby, the Celso and surely others. The Ross is still there. Clearly problems at the top, but which players can we point to now? Davinson can't kick a ball, Dyer can't make a close range pass and Emerson can't play across. But aside from quality, whose attitude and lack of effort do you want to ship out? And of those who remain, who is there to really hold the other players accountable? With so many long-term employees in the squad, there is an astonishing lack of apparent accountability. Any thoughts? Well, lots of difficult things to put a finger on. I like. I. I'm not saying that it can't be the case that there are like bad personalities in a in a in a dressing room. Um, like you remember when Pochettino came in, there was the whole thing with Kabul and and several players went out. I don't think. I don't feel like there's a rot at Tottenham. I don't think that there are bad personalities. Um, I think that there might be something of a losing mentality at Spurs now because we've been losing, right? But I don't think the the only rot is being not that good at football. Um, and I think that you fix the rot by generally improving the quality of the squad and the balance of the squad. Um, so, you know, your specific criticism about Davinson and, and Dyer are reasonable enough. Um, Emerson even, although I think there is a place for him in the squad now. Um, but I don't think that there's there's any specific characters we need to we need to ditch. We just need to recruit better, recruit more efficiently, recruit with better balance, recruit with more lined up thinking, recruit the coach who plays the kind of football that we want to play, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. See rest of um blog post about a to do list for director of football. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's I don't think there's like a rot. I don't think there's a, a problem with individual characters. I just think there's a general lack of talent across the squad and in key areas and that hurts us. I think it's a mismatch with um, the type of football we want to see. What I'm really interested in is how much more a new coach can get out of some of these players. I think there's definitely scope for some of them to significantly improve them. Others, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Um, But we've seen a lot of transfers in the past, what, two and a half years? But it still feels like there hasn't been that much turnover in the starting eleven. And I think that is a problem and we do need to now bring in new players for the first 11, directly impact that first 11. Sell one again, um, son. I'm not going to quite go there. <laughs> I, I want to also add that Scott's, the last line of Scott's email was, if any of you are ever in New York City, I know a place that won't kick you out for a fried egg, which I very much appreciated. <laughs> Reference to Nathan Stack, do. Um, Adam TM says seeing Southampton go down this weekend and James Ward-Prowse being a step above the rest of that team almost certainly means he'll move on is there a player you would take from the current and prospective bottom three also Zahar is out of contract would you take a risk on him so um, so Southampton are down I think we can assume that Leicester are in, in pretty big trouble and then it comes it comes to Leeds Everton Forest Chelsea <laughs> No, not anymore. West Ham, probably safe. So I think Leeds, Everton and Forest, it's likely to be Leeds and Leicester, I think, that will go down. They're, they're the three in the in the bottom three, Southampton, Leicester and Leeds. Any players from those squads that uh, you, you'd like? I know who Bardi's going to say. Um, who do you reckon? Nonto. Oh, yes, I'd love him. He's so good. I would sell Sun and get him instead. He's, He's um, not even getting him a Leeds team. Do you know that? Oh, big what? Because Big Sam. Big Sam isn't playing him. I don't even before really... that, though, weirdly, he was he was on the bench. I think well he's he's a he's a child but I do mm. I do really like him. He's really smart with the ball. He's a really good player. He's got a lot yeah. of talent, a lot of potential. I think he can yeah. do some great things. Yeah, Southampton Southampton have some fantastic players. It's it's ridiculous that they've gone down really. Yeah, I think Bella Kochap is really good. Uh Romeo Lavia is really mm-hmm. good. Um some people are saying that Silimana is good. I haven't seen enough of him to to really comment. Uh, but I, I definitely rate Lavia and Bella Kochap very highly. Um, Leicester, obviously, Madison's the, the really obvious candidate from Leicester. I think Madison to Spurs makes so much sense for all parties. Um, no one else in the Leicester team excites me that much. Uh, although I do think they'll probably end up losing quite a few players. Yeah, Is um, Liveramento, uh, he's still at Southampton. There was a lot of chat about him a, few, a year ago or so. There was... Um, in big injury issues and 
Um, the performances weren't as good as they they started off really well, and then they kind of weren't as good after that. But I know a lot of people do do rate Livermento still, uh, and they yeah Southampton also have um Bazunu, the young Irish goalkeeper who has had a poor season by all accounts but is a highly thought of player. Nathan, like anyone him. else you've got your eye on? Mm, uh I like Tete at Leicester. He's on loan mm. from Shakhtar. Um mm. who else have we got? Sinistera at Leeds, maybe. Um but these are sort of wingery profiles. I mean we are contractually obliged to sign a winger every window, so that's fine. Uh, there's this guy at, <laughs> at Southampton called Kyle Walker Peters, but I guess we don't really need to write back desperately right now. Uh, Salisu, Salisu maybe is is a potential candidate for centre back, although I'm not convinced he's a. Um, Salisu and Romero would be an extremely aggressive centre back. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, there's probably the some question, more. There's probably some underplayed players who aren't coming up. The question was about James Ward Price. I w- I would take him just for. Just, I mean, literally, his set pieces. He's 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 worth it. Really, I don't think I would take him at this stage. Uh, was he 28 now? Like maybe even. A, yeah, he's 28. He turns 29 later this year. I I don't think James Ward Price is. As, you know, I'm talking about us trying to improve our first eleven. I don't think he does, to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, amazing set pieces. Amazing set pieces. The problem is that he has to take a place in the team from another player and, and play yeah. in open play, um, which is which is tough. It's really tough to make that work. I think he's just not that good in open play. I think that he mm. is like an amazing signing for Brentford in the summer, mm. basically. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean... He's scored eight goals this season. If you, if we had him as a squad rotation or someone you could bring on for the final twenty-five minutes, yeah, we have five subs. We were really excited about having five subs at the start. Yeah. Of the year. If you're chasing the game, you bring him on 25 min- 20 minutes to go, and he just whips in some free kicks and whips in crosses. Um, I think he, I think he's a good, a good rotation option. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I mean, if he's if he's super cheap to be a to be a impact sub, it's not the worst. Move and and I guess he's got the homegrown aspect as well. But he's he's not that young. He's English. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> well down my pecking order. Not a priority, I would say. I think he's out, he's out, has he outscored Son this season? <laughs> don't do this. He may his, pen, his penalties though, as well though, right? He takes penalties, so well. If like, Kane naturally... lose, if Nathan sells Kane, yeah. we'll need someone to take penalties. So. <laughs> Okay, let's let's do some quick fire questions to to finish off with. Uh, Alec Depkrinski, if Spurs bring in a manager who prefers a back four, which defenders are you keeping, and which ones are you selling or loaning? I honestly, sorry, I know this is quick fire. I do not know where to begin turning it uh, into <laughs> a back four team. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, Mason in some ways has turned this into a back four team in the last two games. I guess I guess um, you have two uh, situations. One is where Davies and Poro play, and one is where Royale and Udoji play. Mm-hmm. But then you've got to have Romero in that, and I think that against Villa, you saw that's pretty spooky. Mm-hmm. I would um, I would sell Jaffet, Davinson, Longley, Dyer, and Sessegnon. That, yeah. I think I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Longley, there's rumours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's going back, but there's rumours we do want to buy him, which I think would be insane. Why would we. That's a madness. The thinking is that he's available, f- like, what, 10, 12 million euros, and that he would be a squad option for us? <sighs> I don't get it. I, I really, even as a continuity option, I do not get that one at all. Like, there are so many better centre backs that are better suited to playing a higher line, which I think we will next year. I uh, would not understand that one. Well, and we've got so much work to do in terms of sorting out the defence, and that's not just buying players, it's selling players as well. Um, I think there's an argument that you could keep Dyer for one more year as a backup option, but I'd be very open to selling Dyer, um, Rodon, Regulon. Um, oh, I forgot, I, about, forgot about those two. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I'm open still to selling Emerson Royale if the right offer comes in. I think, like, if we can get our money back on him, then we should absolutely do that. Um it's tough. The only ones I'm really keen on keeping are Romero, Spence, Udoji, and Porro. Like anyone else, up for grabs as far as I'm concerned. Which so is a, a bad back three. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's not a bad starting point. They're pretty good players. Yeah, they're, they're good players, that's for sure. Um, Gino Tabacci says, we've had one unmitigated success this season, and that's been the success of Vio as our set-piece coach. 
What do you think the odds are that we keep this position filled within the club? I was going to do this on my to, my my DOF to do list, and I forgot. You know, step eight: ten year contract <laughs> for Vo. Um, expand his department. Ask if he wants to bring in um, my mate Stuart Reed. <laughs> um, uh, that throwing coach that Liverpool would just let go. Yeah, yeah. Get the throwing coach, the Danish throwing coach. I think he follows me on Twitter. Should I DM him? <laughs> um, Ask him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thomas something. Uh, yeah. You know, develop a set piece department at the club. The the Vo can head uh yeah i think yeah. um gino tabaki his question is a good one i think we should keep via <laughs> <laughs> nice uh and i like this one from shane clayton uh who says this is kind of sort of mostly rehashing an old argument or statement about the direction of our club under daniel levy but i'm curious how you would all respond to the following binary poll one would you rather have won two FA Cups over the last seven years or two been in the Champions League for five of the last seven seasons it's um it's a tough question because I think the club you always look at it we end up always thinking from the club's point of view so it was always like oh being in the Champions League is better but right now where the club is today I think looking back in the last seven years I think I'd rather have the two FA Cups so if we could, if we're going to go the next seven years with no Champions League and get two FA Cups I think I'd be alright with that if Daniel Levy gets a bit poorer but I get a bit richer in terms of enjoyment and experiences fuck it let's go for the FA Cups yeah I think that's an interesting point with regards to how sort of fleet successes in football that we were on the up Champions League was changing us and now we're spaffing it up the wall um I sort of yeah it's it's hard to do these hypotheticals because like if we win an FA Cup instead of qualifying for the Champions League then then like when does Pochettino leave how do we recruit it completely changes everything it's really hard to to conceive especially in a quick fire round this is meant to be um (laughs) so I sort of don't care about what's happened so far I, I i just want to think about the future and in the future i really don't mind this going for an fa cup you know let's let's, mm. let's make that a high priority i think yeah it's such a tricky one because if if everything's going well with the direction of the club and you've got a head coach in place that you really rate and you think is going to do things and you've got a director of football who's recruiting really well then i think being in the champions league is more beneficial mm-hmm. because you you get the revenue you get the prestige you get the draw you move forward you feel like you're making a step forward year by year by year but if you don't recruit well if you don't have a head coach who you can rely on to take you to the next level each year then you might as well have the FA cups and particularly in light of appointing particularly in light of appointing Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte absolutely the two FA Cups because otherwise what's the point in appointing them in the first place? They're, they're managers there to win trophies. Um, I'm really interested to know. I'd love to know what they were told about the, the list of priorities at Spurs when they were in charge in terms of Cups. I'd love I mean, to know that. I think when, I think you need to look at something, someone like Leicester. Leicester are traditionally, I mean, let's ignore, we're not talking about the sixth or whatever. So Leicester are a team that predominantly in the last 20 years have gone up and down, been relegated a few times. They've had a, they've had a spell where they won the league. They've been in the Champions League. They've had a little European jaunt. They've won an FA Cup and now they're probably going to go down. Um, I, I think, I don't I can't speak for them, but I think they would have taken that as a mm-hmm. club that never did anything to have come up to the Premier League, spent seven, eight, uh, however long it's there. Been to their 10 years, and won two, won the league and won the FA Cup and now they'll go back down and then they'll rejuvenate and come back up in a year or two. I think they'd probably take that. Yeah. The problem the problem with Spurs is we've we've consistently got in the Champions League and for, and for what? We just made a load of idiots richer who've then just made bad decisions upon bad decisions and we've not reaped any benefits of that. It's not like we've made more money and our, my season ticket price has gone down. It's stayed, it's gone up. It's not like um, the price of beer has gone down because they're like, oh, you know, we're going to make 500 million from the Champions League this year. Let's have, um, have a £5.50 pint. Nothing, Spurs being in the Champions League has not impacted my life in a positive way other than that, that evening in Ajax. Whereas two FA Cups, two journeys to Wembley, winning them, celebrating them, that would have had a positive impact on my life and I would have really have enjoyed that. So would I go the next seven years with just two FA Cups and no Champions League? I'd, I'd do it. Fuck it. Give me two cups and I've ignored getting knocked out by Milan and stuff like that. I completely agree that Leicester would absolutely take this um, from where they were to, hmm. you know, winning the league. One of one of only seven teams to have won the Premier League. It's extraordinary to have that in their record. 
Uh, and if that means that they they put up with this like roller coaster ride the rest of the time, then I'm sure that their fans will be happy to take that. And frankly, they'll probably be really enjoyable to watch in the championship. Probably come back straight back up because they've got good players, uh, and and their journey begins again. Um, but that's not us, is it? Whereas Wigan won the FA Cup and got relegated and are stuck in Championship limbo, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there's a big, there is a big difference between Wigan and um, and Leicester. Wigan were never really a team or a club built to kind of ha- sustain themselves. They were always just a kind of whim of of maverick individuals and managers that managed to get something out of it. Leicester, at least, they have they seem to have a, a process involved. Pr- pretty well, well run academy as well. Yeah, Leicester. they'll be all right. Yeah. Good question, Shane. Um, Shane's a regular contributor. I pre- appreciate it. Um, we'll leave it there. We've got so many questions in the bank, but. We're going into we're getting close to the end of season, and um, I want to keep some of these questions ready to to ask you guys over the summer. Uh, one thing I will say is I am going to Chicago at the start of June. I'm going to miss a week of podcasting. Uh, if any listeners have any recommendations for things to do in Chicago, then then hit me up. I've got, I've got an, a bit of an itinerary in mind, but but hit me up and and recommend places to eat and drink and. and Go visit. Are you going to the Windy City, Windy? Hmm. I know, indeed. Someone, someone else said that. Someone <laughs> oh. suggested that I should do a daily diary of Windy in the Windy City, but mm. I'm, I think I'm going to be too drunk most of the time, to be honest. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, who we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 